Welcome again to another Press On podcast, and I hope that this finds you doing well in the Lord. Uh, Let's turn our attention today to an Old Testament book that perhaps most of us don't often go to, but the book of 2 Chronicles, uh, specifically one chapter, chapter 20. Uh, the book of Second Chronicles uh, parallels really First and Second Kings, with the difference that uh, the book of Second Chronicles does not include anything really related to the northern kingdom of Israel, but is focusing on the southern kingdom of Judah, and uh, it does that because Israel in the north uh, had given themselves over to false worship and. They really refused God and refused to worship God in the temple in Jerusalem. And so the book focuses rather on the kings of Israel, uh, I'm sorry, the kings of Judah, that had patterned their lives and their kingly reign uh, from the pattern of the godly life and godly reign of King David. And when we read through the book of Second Chronicles, it it really uh, introduces us to and gives some uh, context for the godly, zealous reformers uh, like King Asa and Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah and Josiah. So that's kind of the context, and I want to focus on specifically King Jehoshaphat. Now, King Jehoshaphat was a reformer. He had committed himself to follow the Lord and to obey the commands of God, uh, to honor uh, the book of writings from God. And he, again, patterned his life and his ministry as much as he did upon the pattern of godly King David. But uh, we find the life of uh, King Jehoshaphat now in chapter 20. He's coming to a time where he's finding himself in a real bind. So I'd like to entitle this uh, podcast, if you will, God's Process for Peace. Uh, and it begins by telling us in chapter 20 that, uh, first, let me back up and just say this. This, uh, I, I want to kind of frame this for you because uh, it might not make sense to some of you, but m- my personality and, and my lifestyle has developed over the decades to where I'm fairly analytical, uh, systematic. Uh, I like lists. Uh, I use uh, specifics in life and ministry and with my relationship with the Lord. Uh, and so, you know, much of what I share with you is how I process things and how God deals with me. And today is going to be a very specific example of that. And, of course, I know that that doesn't always fit everyone who's watching or listening, uh, and I, I, I don't have a problem with that. But I've titled this God's Process for Peace because in 2018, uh, I was facing a tremendous trial in my life. Uh, it had to do with uh, ministry. It had to do with my serving the Lord, the context and the purpose and all. And for those of you that may think that every minister and everyone in ministry just has the perfect life and lifestyle and uh, everything is a bed of roses and uh, we just prosper in everything and we, you know, <laughs> we go around telling everybody else how to live because we live it so greatly. Um, you know, that's really not real. Uh, I'm a real guy, and I live a real life like you do. And 2018, I was just faced with some concentrated struggles, and God led me to this book and this chapter. And um, 
to my memory, this is the first time I've ever shared from it. Uh, but I use the word process because that is how I often find my way through things of life. I'm not a uh, pie-in-the-sky kind of guy. I'm not one who looks and expects instantaneous deliverance and everything and every prayer to be immediately answered. Uh, There are processes that we go through, and some things in life and some things in our character and in our development and uh, in our home life and ministry and business, some things we just cannot learn, and we just cannot find a certain kind of victory until we go through some very trying, trying situations. Jehoshaphat here is, uh, uh, has a messenger come and tell him that we're, Jerusalem isn't surrounded. You're surrounded, king. Uh, three enemies uh, have come, and their troops and their armament, they've surrounded the city. And it starts in verse 2. Uh, they told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you. And This is the first uh, step in the process. Now, I, again, this is my style, right? Uh, I somehow, maybe because I was taught in Bible school how to prepare sermons and so forth, but I use alliterations. That is, whether I write or speak, often I will use a particular letter, and I will attach words that start with the same letter. And for me, it's, it's just been a frankly, an easier way for me to remember and to learn things, and I've transferred that into my sharing. So today, I'm going to be using an alliteration with the letter P, and I've got 13 different alliteration words uh, that I want you to uh, remember or write down, because these are steps. That's why I call it a process. This is how God worked with Jehoshaphat as he processed through a very an extreme chat time in his life, and these uh, steps or these processes, I have found over the last four years, I've come back to this chapter over and over and over again as I faced certain things, and I have set my heart to seek the Lord, and I follow these words with corresponding action. And I'm telling you that I have seen the Lord sustain me over and over and over again. And he has brought me through everything, and he gives me a perfect peace. And at the end of it, you'll see it's a wonderful, wonderful outcome. The first, uh, in fact, I just, this is a little humorous. When I was a kid, uh, being raised in an Assembly of God church in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, I remember going into church, and there was an old song that was saying, uh, and I don't remember who wrote it, but it said, Peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above. Do you remember that song? I would sing it with all my heart, but I would wonder, why is God sending vegetables down from heaven? Why are peas, P-E-A-S, why are peas? You know, this is the mind of a little kid. What do you expect? But I was always uh, thinking, peas, peas. Why is God sending peas from heaven? And of course, it's not peas, but peace. Uh, And uh, it's a little humorous, but I'm going to use some peas today as we use these uh, words with the alliteration with the letter P, okay? All right, enough of that. Uh, They came to Jehoshaphat and said, hey, a great multitude is coming against you. First P was the problem. And I know this may be an oversimplification, and I won't stay here long, but friends, when we are encountering problems, uh, 
it it will behoove us to work our way through thinking about what is happening so that we can respond to the core issue of a problem and not be wasting our time dealing with symptoms only. I hope that makes sense to you. Uh, it does to me, but uh, many people spend a lot of time and effort and resources uh, focusing on symptoms of their problems, but never be able to identify the specifics, the core issue. And this was the first thing that here that Jehoshaphat did was to specify the problem. A great multitude is coming against you. Verse 3, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So Judah gathered together, verse 4, to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Here is the second P, and that is prayer. First, you identify the core problem. Secondly, we go to prayer. But notice, Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast, and his prayer was specifically to ask God to help them. My friends, prayer is that simple. And this is really the gist of prayer. It's when we voice our problem to God and we say, in essence, just simply help us. Help us see, help us know, help us through, help us with understanding, help us to endure, help us to be strong. You see, a prayer is a cry for help. Jehoshaphat did that, but it wasn't just a a simple prayer. He set himself to seek the Lord. That means he got down to business. I mean, he was saying, this is serious business. The enemy surrounding me. The attack is at my door. Death, maybe overthrow the destruction of my people is possible. I have got to really press in. And he pressed in and he sought the Lord. He proclaimed a fast. A fast is that that uh, a way to where we express our desperation for need of God by casting off earthly things. Typically, we think of it as food. Uh, they decline those earthly things for sustenance and strength, and they set themselves, and they went straight and hard after God, praying and praying specifically for help. Now, in verse 6, Jehoshaphat prayed, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Listen, he identified the problem. He went right to prayer for help. And now he gains the right perspective by saying, are you not almighty God? Are you not the sovereign father? Are you not he who in heaven reigns over both heaven and earth? Do you not have all that is called might, power, and authority? You see, he's he's putting himself in that perspective where he sees his problem and he sees his prayer focus is on the God who has everything under control, who has all power and might, regardless of what has set itself against Jehoshaphat. What a wonderful thing for us to see today. Many people do not get God's perspective, and they find themselves then being subject to fear, doubt, and unbelief as to, did God really say? Will God really move? 
I pray I don't hear him. I pray I don't see him. He's not answering my my prayers. He seems a million miles off. The perspective that God is who he says he is and that God will do everything that he's promised to do uh, is a stabilizing force uh, for us in the time of trial. It was to Jehoshaphat. Then in verse 7, he moves on and he says, not only in verse 6, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God? But now look at verse 7. Are you not our God who drove out, past tense, who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and gave it to their descendants, uh, the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever, and they dwell in it and and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name? Are you not our God? From that perspective that God is God comes the natural next step in the process of saying, you're not just God out there. You're not just God at a distance. You're not just some foreign God, even if I say you have power and authority. No, I am saying that you are who you say you are, but now I'm taking you in and saying you are our God. He personalizes it. The problem leads to prayer. He gains the right perspective, and now he personalizes that God is our God. The God of the universe is your God. The God whose ears are open to the cries of the righteous is your God. The God who who reigns over heaven and earth, over all principalities and powers, rulers of wickedness in heavenly places, (laughs) man, over every wicked person, over every evil scheme. Yes, that is your God. Amen. He personalizes it. Let's, Let's do that today. Say, you are my God, and my God is going to see me through. And then he declares in verse 9, if disaster comes upon us, and he's thinking in terms of the problem, the enemy has surrounded him. If disaster were to come upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, now listen to that, sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and you will save. Oh, hallelujah. He moved when he personalized, you are my God. Faith exploded in his heart, and now he does what? The next word, he proclaims. He makes a proclamation, and he says, no matter what, even if we suffer some of these, and they're horrible things, the sword, the judgment, pest. This is not an ingrown toenail. This is not a, a, a bounce check. This is this is huge. Even if we will stand before this temple, we'll stand in your presence. We're going to cry out. You're going to hear and see our affliction. You're going to come and rescue us and save us. Hallelujah, my friend. Take today every problem. Give God a prayer. Uh, crying out to God for help. Get the perspective that Almighty God is there. And then you personalize it and say, you're not only there, but you're here. You're in my heart. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and, and will quicken my mortal body, give me power and authority of Christ to make me an overcomer. You are my God. And then you will be able to proclaim not no matter what, like the three Hebrew boys, 
They said, look, make it seven times, 70 times hotter, doesn't matter. Bind our hands, throw us in, doesn't matter whether we, whether we burn or not. But here now, we're not going to bend, we're not going to bow. And if we burn, it's going to be in the hands of God either way. But our God will deliver us. And this is the proclamation. Can I say this kindly? A lot of people, when they're facing problems, and it's, it makes all the sense in the world, they go to prayer, but then they stay in that place of prayer. Now, listen to me carefully. We are to pray, and we are to continue to pray. We do seek help. But somewhere along the way, the perspective that God is who he says he is has to dawn upon us. Then we have to embrace that almightiness of God in our lives, and we've got to move, my friend, from prayer to proclamation. The Word of God tells us that the power of life and the power of death is in our tongue, and he who loves it shall eat the fruit thereof. We have the power and the authority. I'm not talking some crazy, outlandish, stretched out on the far side of some word of faith thing to get what you want and blab and grab. No, no, no. I'm saying like here we find that when faith bursts in your heart, when you have the perspective that every trial, uh, that no matter how huge it seems to you, pales in comparison with the Almighty God, and that Almighty God is your God in ever-present help in time of trouble. Amen? Faith moves, and it has to move us from prayer to proclamation to say no matter what, I'm pressing on. No matter what, I'll have the victory. No matter what, I'm not going to give in. I'm not giving up. I'm not going back. This proclamation was made. And then he says, and now, in verse 10, and now, God, here are the people whom you would not let in uh, Israel invade when we came out of the land of, of Egypt, but they turned. we turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, he's talking about the, the enemies that surrounded them. They had done good to them. They did not engage them in warfare when they came out of the land of uh, Egypt, moving toward the promised land. Uh, here they are now rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you've given to us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? You hear this? He went from the proclaiming that no matter my problems, I know you're almighty God, you're my God, faith comes to his heart, he, he says, I'm, I'm drawing a red line in the sand, I'm not moving from here. It reminds me of that Old Testament story, the guy that fight, fought his enemies in the middle of a pea patch, just a garden of sorts, and he just said, this is it, I've, I'm not going back, I'm, I, enough is enough. And he takes his stand, and yet he calls out to God, uh, and this is the next word, he makes petition. Petition is different than prayer. Remember the, the first problem, prayer? The prayer was for help us, help us. And then he got the perspective of God, he personalized it, he makes the proclamation of faith, and now he's petitioning. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? My friends, we can take a place of petitioning God where we don't stand in the judgment seat. We don't stand with any power and authority to be able to point the finger and declare a sentence of death, hell, or something upon people or our problems. 
But my friends, you can go to God and you can do this. This is the petition. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Because we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we even know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. This is the petition. Oh, God, will you not judge them? Prayer in the first, in the second step, prayer was to help us, Lord. Help us. Help me. But now you're, you're, you're at the position where now you're petitioning, oh, God, you, the righteous judge, you're, you're, you see all things. You know all things. You know the power behind it. You know the intent of the enemy. You know those who've set themselves against me. You even know the weaknesses of my own flesh. But will you not come and judge those enemies of yours that have set themselves against us? That's the petition he makes. Now, when you go on, look what happens in verse 14. Then, this means after he makes this petition for God to rightly judge the enemies, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. Notice this, the Spirit of the Lord came. When did the Spirit of the Lord come? It didn't come back up here when he just identified the problem. It didn't, the Spirit of the Lord didn't even come when he prayed, oh God, help us. The Spirit of the Lord didn't come when he says, you are almighty God. The Spirit of the Lord didn't come when he said, you're our God. The Spirit of the Lord didn't come when he personalized it. It didn't come when he made the proclamation, we're, we're going to stand fast, we're going to trust you, we're going to go on, we're not, going to, we're not going to give in to our problems. When did the Spirit of the Lord come? It came after he made petitions, Lord, judge your enemies. This is the process, the steps that God was moving Jehoshaphat to as he managed the situations in life that were set to defeat him. And the Spirit of the Lord came. And this is what? God's presence. This is the next P word, presence. The presence of the Lord. When we, when we follow these processes, there's a place in the process where God is going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you, where the Spirit of God, the, the enabling power of God, is going to come upon us and raise us up and give us what we need to continue along in the uh, process and, and bring us to a place of finality. We can't do it in His presence. There's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Acts 3.19, that in His presence is where we find a refreshing. Jehoshaphat was following this process. Now, I don't know if he literally saw it as a process or not. Probably, probably not, to be frank with you. He was probably just going through these things, and these things were unfolding. But we have the benefit of hindsight, and thank God for the Word of God. We can see this. The problem, the prayer, the perspective, the personalizing, the proclaiming, the petition, and God sends His presence. Now, my friend, I'm out of time today on this segment of the podcast, but I would invite you to come back and join me as we look and we conclude the God's process for peace, because there's still some wonderful uh, peace that God wants to give us and bring us to a place of, uh, of a great ending. So until we join back together again, may God richly bless you, my friend.